0: Say thanks to Scott for preaching in my place last Sunday, uh, and I listened to it on the way back. We actually had a computer foul up, um, and it didn't get live streamed last week, but it is audio there, and you can listen to what Scott shared from John at 17. Good work, man. Appreciate you guys being a part of our church family as you guys as you get rolling on Lake Avenue and hearing about all the things that are happening there and. Um, we, uh, we come back today to Acts chapter 2, and as I've been looking at Acts chapter 2, um, I kind of laugh because uh, Scott said, you know, he was preaching the third in line on John 17. Well, it looks like Acts chapter 2 is going to be four, so you can drag it out a long way. That's what I'm saying. Just as you look at the example of somebody who's preached a lot, I don't know whether you could call me experienced, but it, you can drag things out a long time. Anyway... Um, Some of you are going, yeah, I can. All right, so uh, this is an interesting passage because it is the effect of the coming of the Holy Spirit. Uh, We we know that Peter was one who was never shy about sharing his thoughts and his opinions with Jesus, and Jesus always seemed to receive them, but not necessarily accept them. He said, No, you got to change some things about how you look at different ideas. And, and as we looked at Acts chapter one, we see as Jesus ascended, the disciples were, were trying to figure out how to do it without the Holy Spirit. And then at the beginning of chapter two, we looked a couple of weeks ago, which is a very, well, it is one of the most unique passages. In the Bible, I mean, we see the the accounts of the crucifixion and the resurrection four different times in the four Gospels. You see the coming of the Holy Spirit just this one time upon the church. And uh, I think that's an important thing to remember when we look at theology surrounding the Trinity, the the coming of the Holy Spirit. The Lord has come. (laughs) We we see that His Spirit is upon the church. And every evidence that I see in the New Testament is that if you trust Christ, if you believe on the name of the Lord, you are saved. If you are saved, then you are the temple of the Lord. And that is the ten- the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. So the Spirit rests upon the church. And he rests at, in this church, but He rests on the church as a whole. And I And I really thought about what passages to preach through the Easter season? I I've put a lot of thought into prayer and and prayer into what to look at as we celebrate Palm Sunday and Resurrection Sunday, and it wasn't lost on me that the Acts chapter two was only six weeks, give or take seven weeks, after the resurrection, the crucifixion and the resurrection, and I think it's an interesting thing to look. At how the church, the early church, responded to those historical events. And so as we look the next couple of Sundays, we will be in Acts chapter 2. But realize how close this time period is to the actual crucifixion and resurrection of Christ. And then how the church applies it in their context at that moment. They see this is why, this is how it happens happens. And so we will be looking today, verses 14 through 36, if I get that long, I'm already kind of drug on a little bit in children's time, so losing time here, I, I realize. But we will look then next week, uh, verses 37 through 42, 41, and what happens when the, the early listeners heard the message of the gospel. And that is a pretty amazing thing to look at on Resurrection Sunday. To see how the church responds to the message that Peter shared. So today we're going to look at it in a couple of different sections. Uh, Acts chapter 2 verses 14 through 36. And to begin our reading today we'll look at verses 14 through 21. And I invite you to stand as we read those verses together. But Peter... "'Standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, "'Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, "'let this be known to you and give ear to my words. "'For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, "'since it is only the third hour of the day. "'But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel.' be turned to darkness and the moon to blood, before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Lord, you are faithful, and help us to remember the the call you have on our lives to return to call on your name. In Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. This passage I've actually looked at in the context of its prophecy about two and a half years ago, we went through the book of Joel. And Joel is, and he speaks it here in chapter 2, verses 28, we'll come back to it. Uh, he's a direct, quote, directly quoting from the prophecy of Job. But one of the things I find humorous about this passage in Peter's introduction, everybody in, in sermon uh, teaching you how to preach stuff says your imp- introduction is so important. And, and Peter's introduction here is pretty simple. We're not drunk. Right? Has anyone, this is an evidence perhaps of the filling of the Holy Spirit, after you have been in the presence of the Lord in prayer and in worship, has anybody who wouldn't know Christ think that you're a crazy person? I sure hope so. Right? Or that you're drunk. You're acting strangely. You're acting different than everybody else. And I'm going to tell you right now, the, the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, should make us act differently should make us look weird to the world around us. But Peter intros it here pretty simply. Standing with the eleven, he lifted his voice up and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. These people are not drunk, as you suppose, but it's only the third hour of the day. It's only about nine in the morning. Right? If you're going to be drunk, it's not usually that early. You know, I, I'm i not a partier, I've never been one, but I, I remember seeing some guys in college, usually the morning after they're trying to get over it, they're not creating it, right? Um, the, if the first thing in the morning to see this happening is rare. And it, it got me thinking about this whole passage, because where were they? They were in Jerusalem, obviously, but it says that they were in the upper room, where they were all gathered together, kind of in isolation, yet... Now, after the coming of the spirits, we see that the power has been unleashed from their physical presence. They are somewhere else. They were out in the city and they were proclaiming the good news. And remember, we look at that map and we see where uh, all these names are listed in verses 10, 9 and 10 and 11. We see that there are people from all over the known world that were Jews that had returned to Jerusalem for the Feast of Booths or Pentecost, the 50th day following Passover. And that is the day that the the Spirit falls on the church. And they hear the disciples speak, but they hear it in their own language. They hear God at work among the people. And so they, they hear God at work in the disciples' preaching. And they, it's an interesting thought here when Peter preaches, there's, there's no record, but is, is Peter's sermon coming across in that manner? You understand what I'm asking? As Peter speaks the truth, are the people around them hearing it in their own language? I think that's a worthy question. I think it's also a question we don't have the answer to. When we consider how God is at work, we must realize that His transforming power is what matters when it comes to the glory of the gospel. When we we hear, hear and understand the gospel, it is a product of the work of the Holy Spirit. God proclaims His truth through ordinary humans. And we hear it, And he transforms. And we're going to get to that in this passage here. So verse 16, but this is what is uttered through the prophet Joel. We've already read through it once. I want to go back to Joel. All right. Hazan, Joel, there he is. All right. I want to go back to Joel. You'll see it on your screen. But Joel chapter 2, verses 28 through 32 it's important to be reminded that salvation through Christ was God's plan all along. In his sovereignty, he chose to do it the way he did when he did. Why? Because he's God and that's the way he chose to do it. He chose the moment in history when Jerusalem, for lack of a better term, would be a crossroads for the world as they knew it. And this is what he prophesied would happen several hundred years earlier. And it shall come to pass afterward. And I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days I will pour out my spirit. And I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. We don't see this next passage there, but it's a good stuff, so I'm going to read it. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, there shall be those who escape, as the Lord has said. And among the survivors will be all those whom the Lord calls. Now this is not the only place, Acts 2 is not the only place where we see evidence of this passage. We also see it in Romans chapter 10, which is not very far away from our home scripture here today. But Romans, we see in chapter 10, this is one of the verses we use in the Roman road when we share the gospel through it. Verses 9 and 10. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the the Scripture says, Everyone who believes in Him shall not be put to shame. So when you're calling on the name of the Lord, He draws us there. All right? And um, we see now that... God is empowering the church to proclaim the good news that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it comes the way he is planning to do it, the way he is going to do it. And there, um, sorry, <coughs> right, excuse me. Something about that wind that's been blowing around. Um, in this passage, we actually see multiple moments of fulfillment we see that the spirit has come upon the church right he has poured his spirit on all humanity it says that men and women will speak truth it says that servants will it says that the the leaders will it says that there is no limit to the power of the holy spirit speaking truth he uses all people for his glory But it also, we see that there's moments of terror in that fulfillment. What is one of the things that we see happen at Jesus' crucifixion? What happened at noon when Jesus said, it is finished? It went dark for how long? It says three hours. From the sixth hour to the ninth hour, right? And then we see that there are some other moments of fulfillment here that I think aren't necessarily have been haven't necessarily been fulfilled. But there is a, the day of the Lord's return, that will be a terrifying day. It'll be pretty weird when we know Christ, whether we don't know Christ. It's not going to look like the world as we know it right now. It'll be a time of fulfillment, but there will be glory for those who know Christ, because everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For those who don't know Christ, there will be judgments. And that's what the Bible says. So I think it's pretty important that we, at that great and magnificent day, know what we should say. Am I correct in that? You call upon the name of Jesus. What does that mean? That's a transforming power. That means Christ is in you. And in Colossians, Paul says, Christ in us is the hope of glory. That is a fulfillment for now and for eternity. So we see Christ fulfill his word through his crucifixion, through his resurrection, and ultimately the empowerment of the Holy Spirit upon the church. And I think, again, that is a perfectly appropriate thing to be talking about in the Easter season. Because we would not have the power of the Holy Spirit except because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And if we didn't have the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we probably wouldn't have heard this story at all. Because it would have just been a a random preacher who got killed for the things he was saying. And that's happened a lot through history. But one unique thing has happened, and that is the resurrection of Christ. And one of the preachers I was listening to said, if you need proof of that, pull a coin out of your pocket, if you guys still know what coins are, if you're not always just tapping your card or your phone on whatever it is. And you see a year there. What is that year? It's the AD, the Anno Domini, the year of our Lord. Some people in modern history try to change it to the common era because they don't want to acknowledge Jesus. But if, if Jesus wasn't unique, we wouldn't even know who he is in history. Why is he special? Because of his resurrection. Because he paid the price for our sins. All right, now, verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Now, who is preaching this sermon? Peter. Six weeks earlier, seven weeks, two months, let's just round it off. What happened with Peter the night before Jesus was killed? Denied him three times. What changed? The resurrection and the coming of the Holy Spirit. Peter never really lost faith, but he did gain the power of the Spirit. And you see, when we come to the realization of what God has done for us through the work of the resurrection, it empowers us to get past ourselves. To realize that the message is of the greatest importance because the message applies to everyone, not just to me. And so we come to this place where we preach the message of hope. And now, he, in the presence of those who are the ones who called for the crucifixion of Christ, plainly puts the guilt upon them. That's a little different than it was before. Am I correct? Now... Some of you will say, this sermon that Peter preached, it's only a page long. And, Pastor, you've been talking for 15 minutes. You could have been done by now. You're right. But think about the power, that the, the change that had happened in the last 50 days. Right? Right? A lot of things had changed. And they could see the manifest power of the Holy Spirit at work. And they're going, what's going on? And here's Peter to speak truth into the moment of confusion. He says, this is what's happening. Men of Israel, hear these words. And then says in verse 24, You killed him, but God raised him up. In verse 24, God raised Him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for Him to be held by it. Now, death holds us all. We are under the curse of sin, and the curse of sin is death. Christ, being the holy sacrifice, when He was killed, when He died, was unable to be held by the bonds of death. Process that a little bit. They killed him, but death couldn't hold him. It brought him back to life. For David says, and this is in Psalm 16, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad, and my, my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make full make me full of gladness with your presence. That is a fulfillment of Psalm 16, verses 8 through 11. I'll say it one more time. I'm not going to run back there. But we, the, the verses are Psalm 16. It's one of the many Messianic Psalms. So Peter now has quoted from the prophets and from David in the Psalms. And it's, again, in fulfillment of what Christ has done. This is not the first time or the last time that the Psalms and the prophets have been used in verifying Christ's ministry and its fulfillment of God's plan. Jesus Himself even says at the cross, it is finished, right? That's, that's fulfillment. We see Psalm 22 as a, as a picture of Christ's sacrifice prophesied a thousand years before his day, before Christ. If you go look at it, that's a great, by the way, great reading for Palm Sunday. Great reading for the week that's ahead. As we see the sacrifice of Christ fulfilled. God has, been, has planned this from the start. And that's what Peter's telling them here. He is not releasing them from the guilt that they held there for their own sin, but he's saying that it was also part of God's plan. That can be a little mind-blowing when you get there. God both gives man a choice in his plan. That has to do entirely with the sovereignty of God. He has the ability to figure that one out from eternity. We try to put God into our image and say, how could God have that foreknowledge? Well, then we put God into man's image, and that's this little word called idolatry. God is the one who has planned this from the start, and that's what Peter's sharing here. That even a thousand years earlier, your kings, your prophets were the ones that were sharing that this is the way it was going to happen. And finally, in verse 29 through 36, "'Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David "'that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day.'" Being therefore a prophet, calling the king a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with him an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, that is the place of death, nor did his flesh see corruption. What does that mean? He wasn't in the grave long enough for for that to, to take an effect. This Jesus God raised up, And of that, we are all witnesses. We've seen it happen. And I think he's drawing together the whole crowd, but especially those who Jesus had spoken to. What do we find earlier in this chapter, that there were about, or earlier in Acts, that there were about 120 there. We find in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that there were more than 500 at once that saw him. So we know that there were physical witnesses of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This Jesus God raised up, and that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand, the hand of power of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, that's Peter and the church receiving the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says this, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Sovereignty of God all over this. Jesus' plan the whole time was to endure the cross. Yet man is fully guilty in his death. He has fulfilled the sacrifice according to the law and the prophets. And now he preaches this message, and we're going to look at the fulfillment on Easter Sunday and what happens when the people heard the good news. If you're looking at verse 34 and 35 there, you will find that Psalm 110 is one of the profoundly messianic psalms in the Scriptures. Write that down, Psalm 110. That's another good one. It's not quite as heavy as Psalm 22, (laughs) But we also see further into the New Testament that the book of Hebrews is basically outlined on Psalm 110. And we see that this passage, we see that the enemies of God are his footstool. In other words, God has victory over all things on earth through Christ. And so as we observe the Lord's Supper here in a few moments, as we consider the things through the Holy Week, and I encourage you to read through the last few chapters of any of the Gospels if you're wondering about those kinds of things, to see that God Himself planned this from all eternity, that He has Himself brought fulfillments, and that it is His work alone that is salvation. I can't save me. It says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord is to be saved. Who is the Lord? It is the one who is dead and buried and risen. It is the one who brings victory over sin and death. It is Jesus Christ. And so as we are reminded of the Hosanna, the Lord saves the Hosanna to the Son of David, let us be reminded that God has had a plan through faith for each one of us, each human in history, for all eternity. Salvation has never, ever been by anything that you and I can do for ourselves. It has always been God's plan that Jesus would give salvation by His death, burial, and resurrection. You want to go into Hebrews, He'll talk about the Old Testament there as well. Salvation has always been By faith. So, as you consider the implications of the truth of the gospel, let's be reminded that the reason we celebrate every week together is because of the completed work of Christ on the cross, that is, his resurrection. That as we remember the Lord's Supper today, we are reminded of what the price was for our salvation the body broken. The blood shed. There is no forgiveness except by the the shedding of blood. We look at, at the Lord's Supper as a time of remembrance, a memorial of what God has done for us in Christ Jesus. There's nothing that saves us between the little cracker and the little bit of grape juice. What it does is it reminds us of the cost. And you are worth it. God loves you. He wants you to call on his name and receive that forgiveness of sin. Next week, we'll we'll continue verses 37 through 41 and see what happens to the early church when they heard this message. But you already got some hints along the way. So I ask you today, as we trust Christ, have you received the gift of salvation? Have you submitted your life to him and followed him in baptism? I believe that that is a, a decision that we must make. There's nothing about the water that saves us when we're baptized. It's always, and we'll see it in the next chapter and giving it away. I'm guess, stop. We'll see it in the next passage. Baptism always followed repentance. That is to turn away from our sins in the book of Acts. It is an act of obedience and trusting in Christ. There's nothing about the water that saves us. You can pray as many blessings as you want to over it. It's still just out of the, out of the pipes, out of the ground that they dig the holes to fix everything on, right? It's just ordinary water. It's a picture of obedience and trusting Christ and trusting His burial, death, resurrection his death burial and resurrection all right so as we come to the close today as we as we celebrate the lord's supper after our time of invitation we're just going to go with a hymn as we celebrate and are reminded of god's grace in our salvation and in this coming week look for opportunities to tell somebody around you how much god loves them and to come celebrate together this next Resurrection Sunday. This Sunday that we celebrate every year in memorial of and in celebration of Christ's resurrection. This is the day we, we come specifically in that. God is good and He is faithful. Follow Him and trust Him today. Let's pray. Lord, you are so good to us. May your grace guide our steps may your goodness